exhausting it must be to go through the criminal justice system when you're a sexual assault survivor who decides to press charges. How depleting it must have been for Chanel to be Emily in that courtroom where it seemed almost as if she was the one on trial, not the one seeking justice for herself. At this point, we are with Chanel as she finally takes the stand to testify. But getting there has not been easy. We sit with the frustration and emotional depletion of being told that the trial had been postponed, rescheduled for another day, and one must dig within the recesses of one's willpower to emotionally prepare for the new court date. Preparing for court had become my sole purpose, Chanel writes at one point. We stand by Chanel in both moments when her district attorney, Alale, examines her. A feeling where we feel vicarious courage and optimism. And when the defense attorney cross-examines her. A feeling where we feel anger, frustration at the victim-blaming rhetoric adopted by the defense attorney in his line of questioning that would turn over minute details. Last episode, I mentioned the names Carl Frederick Arndt and Peter Lars Johnson, the two other names we need to know in this story. In a world of Brock Turners and Elliot Rogers, I'd like to believe that in this world, there are also Carl Frederick Arndt's and Peter Lars Johnson's. Arndt and Johnson were the two men who caught Brock Turner in the act and stopped him when he tried to get away by running after him physically overpowering him and saying, What the fuck are you doing? She's unconscious. Do you think this is okay? What are you smiling about? Say sorry to her. Police report shows that Johnson was actually visibly upset from what he saw. That it came to a point where, quote, he began crying while recounting the incident, end quote. That same police report says, He said it was a very disturbing event for him to witness and be involved in, but he just reached the situation at hand without really thinking. This is why I'd like to believe that in a world of Brock Turner's and Elliot Rogers, there are also Carl Frederick Arndt's and Peter Lars Johnson's. Men with the instinct to recognize right from wrong and actually do something about it. This is the kind of instinct we should expect from men and develop in young boys. Chanel writes, quote, Masculinity is often defined by physicality, but that initial kneeling is as powerful as the leg sweep, the tackling. Masculinity is found in the vulnerability, the crying, end quote. Oftentimes we think survivors' willpower or optimism are enough to carry them through their trauma. But for Chanel, she does not attribute her survival to those because she admits she had none of those at that point. She writes, It would take weeks to recover. Depression would take over. But that October, the Swedes had introduced this new voice inside me. I had to teach myself to talk like them. To one day face my attacker and say, What the fuck are you doing? Meanwhile, Chanel tries to live her life as Chanel, even when Emily's trial went on. Chanel sought her 
pockets of the world where she was regrowing and where she could just be Chanel, not Emily. And that attempt was not in vain, I think. She dabbled in stand-up comedy and went on an overseas vacation with Lucas where the experience of scuba diving became a fundamental experience in healing. Chanel shares the moment after her first stand-up set, the conversation she had with her mom, and what she took away from both the experience and the conversation. Quote, You have to hold out to see how your life unfolds, because it is most likely beyond what you can imagine. It is not a question of if, if you will survive this, but what beautiful things await you when you do. End quote. Spoiler alert, beautiful things did await Chanel when she survived, but more on that later. One of the best parts of this book, and part of why I'm talking about this, is that Chanel's writing is an effort to raise awareness in readers on what survivors like her go through and how we could do better. She writes, and I quote, Throughout the legal process, I felt like I was always trying to keep up, to not mess up, learn card jargon, follow the rules. I wanted to fit in and prove I could do whatever was expected of me. It had never occurred to me that the system itself could be wrong, could be changed or improved. Victims could ask for more. We could be treated better which meant my onerous experience were not useless, they were illuminating. Being inside the system could give me insight. The more I encountered issues, the more I'd be able to see what needed to be fixed. I could convert my pain into ideas, could begin brainstorming alternate futures for victims. End quote. Mm-hmm. 